When I was a boy, my family did not attend worship on Christmas Eve. My dad was raised a Catholic, but never practiced as an adult. My mom's parents were only marginally churched, and while my mom did what she could to get us to church sometime, Christmas Eve was not one of those times. I guess you could say we were Easter and sometimes church members. I don't really recall the first time I went to church on Christmas Eve. Was it when Julie and I were dating? As a pastor, though, it was very clear that attendance at Christmas Eve worship was a requirement. Christmas Eve worship now touches me deeply and carries with it a treasure trove of memories, beautiful and wonderful associations. I remember traveling with our three children as together my family and I worshipped at the four congregations of the central Mesabi Parish in northern Minnesota. We had promised our kids that we would find a place to eat dinner along the way, only to discover that even McDonald's closed early. Gas station snacks would have to tide us over. Yet it was an evening filled with joy churches full, songs richly sung, people's spirits joyful and peaceful at the same time. I recall many services ending as sanctuary lights were dimmed, candles lighted, and silent night sung. When I was the pastor leading those services, I was among the last people to leave the church stepping into the cold quiet of a December evening as midnight neared, grace as palpable as the frosty air on my cheeks. It had happened again. God in Christ born into the world, this time into my own heart and soul. It will not be like that this year. In this time of pandemic, passing candlelight from person to person in a crowded sanctuary while singing Silent Night will not be safe. My heart breaks with yours, and the breaking of our hearts weighs especially heavy, knowing all those families who will be without loved ones this year due to COVID. We will not pass candlelight from person to person this year, but friends, we still have light to share. In John's meditation on the birth of Jesus, there is no manger, no shepherds keeping watch, no angels, but there is light. The true light that shines in all people was coming into the world, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness doesn't extinguish the light. These days feel hard and difficult. We can feel disheartened and discouraged, yet that light still comes again and again. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness doesn't extinguish it. Even now, we carry within us the light of justice, the light of reconciliation, the light of peace, the light of hope, the light of love. While we may not be able to share candlelight person to person on Christmas Eve, we still have light to share. And sharing this light has always been more important than sharing candlelight. Tonight, may grace be as palpable as frosty air on your cheeks. May God in Christ be born 
into the world anew, into your own hearts and souls. May the light of God's love and grace warm you this night, and may you always remember the light you have to share. Good evening, and welcome to Clinton United Methodist Church's Christmas Eve service. For those joining us online through Facebook or YouTube, as well as those who are calling in on our phone number that you can listen to our worship services on, my name is Pastor Michael. I am happy you were able to join us this evening for this special service. Uh, we are coming to you from our sanctuary, but it is just the people you see here in front of you and our sound technician. We do not have a sanctuary full of people because of the COVID pandemic, so we are still following those rules and guidelines from our health department. 
Uh, one quick announcement. Um, because of the time of year we are in when weather is uh, a little bit more unpredictable, uh, please uh, stay tuned to our website, um, our Facebook page, um, and the local radio stations to hear if for any reason we have to cancel a Sunday service in the coming weeks. Hopefully the weather will cooperate though and that won't be an issue. We will begin our Christmas Eve service tonight with hymn number 234, O Come All Ye Faithful. Right, bro. 
invite you to uh, pray aloud with me our prayer of illumination. We would make room for you this night of all nights, dear Lord, room in our minds and hearts, room also in our life together. Let your word be born in us anew so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, your splendor shines in us and through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We will continue with hymn number 230, O Little Town of Bethlehem.
Would you please join me for the first scripture reading, Luke 2, verses 1 through 7, in the NRSV. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged, and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in bands of cloth, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, if you'll please join me uh, for him away in a manger, number 217. like to take a moment and thank everyone for their continued gifts and offerings that have allowed this congregation to do some really amazing work in our community um, and reaching even farther across the globe. Um, we would ask that you would continue as you are able in your offerings and tithes and gifts um, as you are visiting with us this evening remotely or virtually as it were. Um, obviously, you, you can't hand us an envelope, um, 
but you can if you would like go to our website um, and there is a donate button where you can give online um, and you of course can always uh, send a check through the mail whatever uh, you feel is appropriate whatever works best for you um, during this season we greatly appreciate everyone's uh, continued gifts and offerings it allows us not only to uh, keep our lights on and and stuff like that but it has allowed some really amazing ministry work to happen here um, and I cannot tell you how proud I am of that work and thankful for all of the gifts of time tithes um, and talents that this congregation continues to show in our community and further abroad Now, if you'll join me for the second scripture reading, Luke 2, verses 8 through 14 in the NRSV. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see... I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among those whom he favors. The gospel of the Lord, and the people say, Praise, Praise to you, Lord, Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. Now if you'll join me for hymn number 219, What Child Is This?
next scripture reading for this evening again comes from the Gospel of Luke, the second chapter, verses 15 through 20. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what they had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. The Gospel of the Lord. And you say, praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. We will continue now with hymn number 246, Joy to the World. please join me again in an attitude of prayer. Holy God, on this night we celebrate the birth of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. 
We celebrate the coming of the long-awaited Messiah, the one who would save your people. You sent him into the world not to judge it, but that the world might be saved through him. Tonight, we rejoice with the angels, the shepherds, and all the world at the coming of the Savior. Now may the words of my mouth, meditations of our hearts together in this place, be pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, here we are. It is Christmas Eve, arguably one of the most important days in the life of the church. The night we celebrate the coming birth of Jesus, the Savior of the world, the long-awaited Messiah. It should be a time of joy and excitement. That's not always the case that I have come to learn during my time in ministry. I have found through many conversations with other pastors and spiritual leaders that many do not like to preach on Christmas Eve or even Christmas Day, and in fact, many choose not to. Instead of preaching on either the liturgical text chosen for the day or maybe following through with a sermon series, many will choose to stick with scripture readings, hymns, and maybe some theatrical performance, perhaps. Not that there is anything wrong with any of that. Those are all appropriate ways to celebrate on a day like this. But have you ever wondered why this tends to happen? Well, I can only offer you my own insight and share with you my own experience I had while working on this message for tonight. I found myself stuck for a little bit, if I'm being perfectly honest. And not because this is a busy time of year for me, or because it's a pandemic, or any of the other reasons that I could probably give. It ultimately came down to what could I say tonight? What could I possibly talk about that might be new or inspired? This is one of the oldest stories ever told. The Gospel of Luke is thought to have been written somewhere between 80 and 100 AD. So as I sat in front of my keyboard, I wondered what I could possibly talk about tonight that would be worth saying. Many people already know the story, even people who do not attend church every week and even non-Christians. It's a story that has dominated our world for centuries. In 2020, what could I offer about this story that has not already been said? Then I sat back and took a breath and remembered that I am never alone when I am working on and writing these messages. The Holy Spirit guides me in this process, and I just needed to take a few moments to try to block out all the other distractions around me and pray, asking for guidance and some help. And I do believe that it came to me. I believe that the Holy Spirit touched my heart and opened my eyes. Now, I do not claim that what I am about to talk about tonight is any great revelation. I'm not going to be shaking the foundations of the Christian faith this evening. But I do believe that I have been shown a perspective on something that is worth sharing. 
So as I began to work, I went to several commentaries looking at what biblical scholars had written. A commentary is usually a collection of works by different biblical scholars or sometimes the same scholar looking at texts in the Bible and digging into the historical perspective, the context, the uh, different translations, all the big factors and different things that play into what we see in the Bible and offer some perspective on it from someone who has spent typically a great deal of time learning and studying scripture and theology. And I looked to see what those who had come before me had to say about these 20 verses of scripture from the Gospel of Luke. And I began to notice what felt like a common thread among them. Each of these authors and scholars seemed to be focusing on offering some type of proof, either about the circumstances of Jesus' birth or the historical timeline. Let me give you some ideas of what I mean by that. There are scholars who have pointed out that Luke sets the events of Jesus' birth against the background of world history. They talk about how Jesus was born in Bethlehem, David's city, and registered under the house of David to provide a royal lineage back to David and provide additional legitimacy to the claim of who Jesus was and why it mattered. There are some who argue about the census that is mentioned in the opening verse. Some offer that a census of this magnitude would have never been demanded and that what is being described could actually have been the process and rules of a census conducted under the leadership of the local Jewish leaders and not, in fact, the Romans. But then there are those who instead insist that the census was likely ordered by Herod at the direction of Augustus because Herod was very old and it was likely that Rome would take over this part of the world, um, more so than it already had, I guess, um, or at least some of it, and if not all the area that Herod was responsible for ruling over once he would pass on. They would want to know who they were coming in to be ruling over and all the different variables at play. And then there is significant argument over just who was the Roman governor at the time of Jesus' birth. Luke writes that it is this uh, queerness or queeriness, um, but historical records actually indicate that he didn't come to power until Jesus was around 10 years old. The historical records actually indicate that the Roman governor at the time of Jesus' birth would have most likely been Quintilinus, Varus. Or how about the debate about why Mary would need to go along on this trip for the census? Typically, these kinds of things were really only concerned with the heads of household, and even then, it was most likely only those who owned property or land. On top of that, some people question, given how soon Jesus was born after they arrive, why would Mary and Joseph have risked Mary's health and the health of the unborn Jesus by taking this journey in the first place? Some, though, make the claim that health concerns at the time of Jesus' birth vary greatly than they might be today with modern technology and medicine. 
Another issue for debate has been just what kind of place did Mary and Joseph go to looking for shelter and where did they ultimately end up? Some translations indicate that it was an inn, like some kind of public lodging. But there are scholars who argue that Bethlehem was not big enough. It wasn't on a major road. It wasn't likely to have many, if any, public lodgings available in the first place. And they argue that the original text actually translate to meaning a private residence and that there was no room for them in the area where the family might have stayed in the home. Then there is the popular debate over whether Mary and Joseph stayed in some kind of room inside a home that was either where the animals were kept or nearby it, which goes along with this idea of the private lodging, or whether they were in some kind of outdoor barn or stable, or in fact, was it actually more of a cave in the side of a hill or mountain? Or how about the debates about why Mary would have no, oh, excuse me. Those are just some of the arguments that you can find when you look at the writings of biblical scholars and other biblical authorities. There seems to be such a strong focus on proving that this event of Jesus' birth happened and exactly how it happened. And I do understand this from the perspective of early Christians who were trying to show proof and give legitimacy to the claim of who Jesus was, the special person, the Son of God, and the Messiah. So providing a historical timeline of his birth would help in establishing this, given the other dominant religions of the time, especially the Jewish people and the Roman government. And for the biblical scholars of the past and even today, the same proof is important in the debates between those who hold this gospel to be true and those who might look to try to poke holes in the stories and somehow claim that all of this never happened, it was just made up. Humans typically are looking for tangible proof for things in this world, especially for things and events that we have not personally witnessed. And while I greatly appreciate the work of the scholars and other authorities with these passages, I wonder sometimes if we are not focusing so much on these proofs that we might miss the story itself. Do we get so obsessed with proving something right or wrong that we forget about the actual message that is being shared? Do we get caught up in the minor details that may not really matter in light of that message and its greater meaning. In our world right now today, does it really matter who, was, who the governor of the Roman governor of that area was when Jesus was born? On this night right now, do we really need to know exactly how the census was ordered or what was required of each person regarding fulfilling it. In this very moment, does it make a difference if Mary and Joseph couldn't find shelter in a public lodging or in a private home? Does it matter if Jesus was born in a room in a private residence near or where the animals may have been kept, in a barn outside or in a cave on the side of a hill? I'm not really sure that it does. 
I'm not saying that all of this is irrelevant or the work of scholars is wasted, not, not at all. This information helps us to better understand the historical perspective of what was going on in the world when Jesus was born. That work helps us to better understand our world throughout time. But does it become a stumbling block to us when we focus more on that information than on what this story is really about? This story is about the birth of Jesus, our Savior, the Messiah, who would come to save the world. This story tells about this miracle and this announcement to the world. Remember that the angels, they go to the shepherds, not the chief priests or government officials or rulers. They go to the shepherds to announce the birth of Jesus. The patriarchs of the Old Testament, like Moses and David, they were shepherds who brought news by one of God's messengers. Both Moses and David started as shepherds and were called to lead and rule God's people. And we see how Jesus was born in humble surroundings, whatever they may have exactly been, to a family of regular people and not to human royalty. After his birth, he is wrapped in swaddling cloths like any other human child at that time may have been. This, along with these humble surroundings, helped to further illustrate the humanity of Jesus. This story is so much more than the historical pieces that help to legitimize it to others. It is a story about the beginning of the fulfillment of the promise of a savior. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. God had become both human and divine in this tiny child so that the world might be saved from death and an eternity without God. This event was the surest sign of God's love for God's creation. You know, I look around at our world today, especially right now, during all of the things with the pandemic, with protests, with politically charged arguments and spectacles, and I think that we might have the same problem. I think as a world, we have become so obsessed with proof and trying to prove someone else wrong and nitpick over the smallest threads that we have lost the real meaning of this season at times. Advent and Christmas are not about things like presents and decorations. This time of year is not about who is right and who is wrong. This is a time for anticipation and celebration. The Christmas story of the birth of Jesus is really one of the simplest ones that there is at its core. While the Gospel of John doesn't have a birth narrative in the way that Matthew, Mark, and Luke do, I do believe that it offers the meaning of this story and the season still the same. 
John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 say, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That is the good news. And we find it beginning through the birth of Jesus, growing through his ministry on earth, and everything culminating during Lent and Easter when he dies and resurrects to fulfill this promise. But it all starts with this little baby. It all starts with a small family. It all starts with God's love and grace freely given to all the world. Jesus did not come just for me or for the people in this space tonight or hearing this message tonight. Jesus came to save the world. Remember the words of the angels that we read in this passage. Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a great multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among those whom he favors. I pray that this Christmas Eve, as different and maybe challenging as it is, given the circumstances in the world, that I pray this Christmas Eve may still bring you the same joy, excitement, anticipation, and feeling of love that was felt on that night so long ago. Christ is born. God is with us. And God's promise will be fulfilled through Jesus. This is the beginning of the good news. Amen. I invite you to join me now in an attitude of prayer. Holy God, on this beautiful, wonderful, special night, we, your children, come before you in prayer. We give you thanks for so many people in this world who are working to keep us healthy and safe, from doctors and nurses to those who serve in our military and police and firefighters and first responders, and, and everyone everywhere who is giving so much of themselves for the greater good. This has been quite a year, but there is nothing that has happened this year that can stop what this season, what this day is about, the beginning of the good news, the coming of your Son, our Savior, Emmanuel, God with us, for nothing is impossible with God. We thank you for all of the many ways that you continue to watch over and bless us. We lift up those who are suffering right now, whether physically, emotionally, or mentally, 
We lift up those who are in mourning, whether from the loss of the life of someone they love or mourning the loss of time together with their friends and family because of this pandemic. We know as your children, we will always be connected to one another and to you. God, we pray that we may see an end to this pandemic soon, or at the very least, a turn in the numbers that we can work towards an end or a controlled situation for it. We know that many lives have been lost, many hearts have been broken, but we also know that there is hope and love and grace found in the birth of your son. We pray for strength. We pray that you would help us to see each other as you see us, as beloved children of God, worthy of life and love and being. And again, we give you thanks for your son, for the sacrifice and the salvation that is secured through the work and the ministry of Jesus Christ. We know we are not worthy of our own volition of any of those gifts, but only because of your love and grace. And we thank you. Amen. Friends, we are about to sing our closing hymn, Silent Night, Holy Night, and normally we would be together. We would have the light from the Christ candle be passed along to people here with us holding candles, but again, this isn't a normal year. If you have a candle at home you wish to light or maybe a glow stick that uh, we were able to get to you, I invite you to light in the case of the candle, um, or uh, bend and crack the inside of the glow stick. Please do not start your glow stick on fire. Um, but please do that at this time as we prepare to sing our song and turn down our lights. Um, at the conclusion of the song, uh, we will have a silent dismissal, so I will invite you um, to sing the song, have a few moments of quiet, um, and that will be the end of our service. Thank you for joining us.